Okay, here we go. I'll put it in reverse. Got it. Now forward. Okay. First. Now turn the wheel. Turn the wheel. No, reverse. Reverse. Don't kill it. Kill it. Kill the owner. There's a reason they say cursed like a sailor. In reverse. Many reasons. Progressive's boat insurance has you covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Well, we're back now. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home an auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages or situations. Welcome to the NBA Front Office Show. I am your host, Keith Smith. I'm excited to have you joining me for this episode. This is for a team I cover in depth for Celtics blog, the Boston Celtics. And I'm joined by Jared Weiss of CLNS and Celtics blog. He's one of my partners over there. He knows everything inside and out from this team. He's on the ground in Boston with the team all the time. Jared, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Hey, yo. So what we're going to do here today, we're going to get deep into the offseason preview for the Celtics, and what we'll do to start it off, I always say you got to look back before you can look forward, so a quick recap on last season for the Celtics, they finished 53-29, and first in the Eastern Conference, lost in the Conference Finals to the Cleveland Cavaliers, four games to one. They did get the one game, not overly competitive the rest of the series, but there were reasons for that. 111.2 offensive rating, that was good for eighth in the league. Defense was down a little bit, 108.4 defensive rating, that's 13th, and then they were 13th in pace. So, Jared, real quick summary, What do you, did last season go about as you expected, better than you expected, worse than you expected? It was, I believe, the one win more than I predicted for the season. So, uh, despite them being in first place, I think overall things went just about as they expected. Isaiah was better than we expected. Um, you know, there's a few guys like Marcus Smart that didn't quite put it together the way that we projected them to before the year, with at least our optimistic projections. But at the end of the day, this team was a really good team that uh, had a combination of bad fortune of injuries and also being significantly inferior to Cleveland. That ended up with them getting embarrassed so bad at the end there. Um, I mean, you know, most people thought they were going to – most of the predictions, I think, for that series were five games or six games for the Cavs. I had six being a little bit more optimistic, obviously not being aware. I knew that – I mean, it was kind of obvious that Isaiah was playing, like, a little hobbled like anybody else was, but nobody realized what kind of injury he was dealing with, obviously, at the time. So, you know, the fact that they got five – or I guess – I shouldn't say it that way. I should say it. the fact that they got one game was enough. Because that wasn't like, oh, they pushed it five. That was solid. That was, I can't believe that that series went five games considering how historic of a drubbing it was. But you know, I think that this team showed that their system and their theory works in like, in actual practice as opposed to in theory. But it requires a lot better tools if they're going to actually pull it all, all the way off against the competition they're facing right now. So they can kill, They can keep building off of this template, and I think this season validated that. But there is, there's a lot more to be done this offseason if they want to really keep moving forward at the rate that they have been because they've been moving forward at a rate that's like comparable to what like the Thunder did a, few, a little while back. Not quite what Golden State just did because I think theirs was significantly more explosive than really anyone before them. But I mean, they've grown at a at a at a rate that Danny A should be incredibly proud of. But again, they need to acquire more players this offseason, which we'll get to. That if they're going to really keep this up, then that's the only way it happens. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I think it was a they did the best they could with what was a functionally limited roster um, outside of the top tier talent. They they 
have a lot of guys who play really hard and fit the system well and do the best they can. Unfortunately, the best they can, as you kind of alluded to, just isn't good enough to compete at the highest level. But for to win the conference in the regular season, that's more than I think anybody could have expected a couple of years ago. And this team is well ahead of pace in the rebuild. And that kicks us into the offseason, which should be a, a fairly – eventful offseason for the Celtics. They have a lot of free agents, a lot of flexibility to do things, and one of their biggest tools this summer is going to be cap space. So at this point right now, the Celtics can get to a max cap space of $35.1 million. Now that is if they were to renounce all of their free agents, not sign their draft picks. So that number is not a realistic number, but a complete upper end of the bound of where the Celtics can get to. I have them projected at 184 million dollars. If you want to follow the projections of how I get to these numbers, there's a tweet pinned to the top of my timeline at Keith Smith NBA. You can go there, click on the link in that tweet that'll take you to my NBA salary and roster sheets to get all the information you could want there as far as all these details. And there's a tab called 2017 Projected Workspace Sheet, and that'll take you to how I get to the projection. I got to, but essentially to boil it down real quick, that's keeping Kelly Olynyk and letting all the rest of the free agents go, but obviously keeping the cap holds for the three first-round draft picks, the one this year and the two prior years. So within that, the big thing for the Celtics that everybody has gone to is free agents. How do the Celtics get there? What are they going to do? Are they going to go get Gordon Hayward? What about Blake Griffin? Could they trade for Paul George? Could they trade for Jimmy Butler? So I'm going to kick it to you, Jared. We're just going to kind of walk them through one by one. And what are what are you hearing? What are your thoughts? Where do you think this goes? Let's start with the guy that I think has become the apple of Celtics fans' eyes, and that's Gordon Hayward. Yeah, so, I mean, what's great about Hayward and why it's way more realistic than the rest of them is that they can sign him and the route to clearing the space to sign him is, I think, a lot more feasible than the route to actually making a trade to get these other guys. The, I think the biggest question, obviously, is what, how much is he willing to shave off on the potential agreement to fit in? Because, uh, I mean, there, there's, still a lot of, uh, there's still a lot of math to be done, I guess, on this, and it all depends on how the salary cap comes in at the end of the day, which is pretty contingent upon the fact that the playoffs are all kind of short as far as the number of games, which will affect it, and we don't know how long these finals are going to go. Uh, you know, anyone that made a mistake, assuming that it was over, which I kind of was one of those people, uh, it's kind of a natural habit there, obviously, uh, was mistaken. So who knows how long that can go and what impact that can have on the salary cap. But like guys like Terry Rozier being on the roster next year, that's that kind of hangs in the balance there. And it would be it would kind of suck for the Celtics if they had to you know, move a guy like Rozier, guys like Jackson, potentially even someone like Smart or Bradley to make room to sign Gordon Hayward. So they're obviously hoping that this goes seven and there's some sort of pocket of change that we don't know about that could make the salary cap jump a few million dollars here. But the, there's even risk that it might go down a little bit. But Gordon, talking Gordon Hayward into taking a little bit of less money will basically give them the flexibility to hold on to guys that they don't want to get rid of. You know, Demetrius Jackson, obviously, because he's a you know he's the guy at the end of the rotation. They already have so many guards in their rotation right now. He he's someone that you can let go of pretty comfortably. But Rogier's a solid prospect. He was somebody that they didn't. You know, both both you and I worked on reporting that that they didn't want to include him in trades for guys like Serge Ibaka or PJ Tucker, so forth, because they didn't want to sacrifice someone who is a cheap, valuable, or at least useful rotation player uh, to lock themselves, cap themselves in uh, for a short-term uh, solution that, as we saw at the end of the day, wouldn't have really made a difference in the conference finals anyway. Um, yeah, and one thing, sorry to interrupt you, but on a thing with a guy like Rozier, the team, if it doesn't work out and they don't add anybody, well, Bradley and Isaiah Thomas and Marcus Smart are all free agents after this coming season. So you at least want to make sure you have some semblance of a guard under contract. And Rozier is at least that guy um, who's got a couple more years of team control left. Yeah, somebody needs to play next to Markel Fultz in the future, yeah. right? Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, and, 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 you know, Rozier didn't have – he was – I would put him on the list of guys that made – you know, like, that made improvements but didn't overall hit all the benchmarks we were setting out for him. So it's not like losing Terry Rozier would be some sort of disaster for the team. But he's a solid 
he's a solid prospect that you, I think you can have a pretty clear projection for where you could use him in the future in this rotation. So, no, you know, it's never ideal to lose guys just for the sake of making a little bit of space to make some sort of move, um, <clears throat> especially because they <clears> – <throat> sorry, I'm losing my voice here um, – especially because they love – utilizing guys on their rookie deals to fill out the rotation. It's something that they've really relied upon. You know, when they've had cap space, they've brought in a few guys. But for the most part, they're really trying to rely on guys on rookie deals because that allows them to load up at the top. And that's really <clears throat> first-round draft picks are, like, the best guys to use as rotation players right now in the NBA because you can sign them to four-year deals where they're making a relatively small amount, and that allows you to – you fill up your cap with top, you know, with your top stars, and then use exceptions over the course of a few years to build up the rest of the rotation as well. So that's, I think, one of the best parts about all the first round picks that they've had over the years is that they've been able to kind of consistently fill out their rotation, even if guys like James Young haven't been able to be used for the most part. Um, like their rotation this year was all of their first round picks essentially for the last few years and then, like, a couple free agent signings. But it was pretty much all their first-round picks. So they've done a great job of that, better than most teams in the NBA have so far. Yeah, one thing I think we know for certain is that Danny Ainge is not going to make moves to create the cap space unless he knows he needs to. And that's the good position the team is in. They they don't have to trade Terry Rozier just to have the cap space. They know if we've got to do that, we'll do that to create it. And he's you know we, we saw that a little bit with their pursuit of Kevin Durant last year. They they had the cap space to go get Al Horford, so they did so. They didn't have it to get Durant at the time, so what they did was they still went and met with him with everybody knowing, if we need to, we'll we'll get it. We'll figure it out. We'll know how to how to get enough cap space. So I think Hayward, the reason why teams are or excuse me, fans are so excited for this possibility is one is it's the Hayward and Stevens connection from their time together at Butler. There is also the fact that Gordon Hayward gives this team a lot of what they need. They need someone to be a secondary scorer next to Isaiah Thomas, and he can definitely step in and do that. He's also a better defender than I think a lot of people give him credit for, and he's a much improved playmaker off the bounce, and that's another thing that's important in Brad Stevens' system. He wants all five players to really be smart ball movers as well. So I think that's where that kind of pie in the sky, we got to get this guy comes in. And my fear is that a lot of fans are setting themselves up for disappointment because it's, it's always in my mind been the best opportunity for Hayward to sign anywhere is to stay right in Utah. He's had a lot of success there. It's a good team. They're continuing to get better. They can pay him the most money. And then it recently has emerged that the Miami Heat are interested, which Pat Riley with Max Capspace, I say this a lot, is a very scary thing to have um, just because we've seen what he can do when he has that opportunity to go out there. They're going to get meetings with any of the top three agents. And because of that, that means don't put all your eggs in the Gordon Hayward basket and just, well, that's it. He didn't come here, forget it, and give up on the team because I still think that there's a better than 50% chance that he doesn't, probably a far better. Are you in agreement with me on that? I, I've had it as 60-40, him staying in Utah, so yeah, it's definitely most likely. I think 60, 60% chance of staying with your current team is actually pretty low, generally. Um, so that that's actually, I think, a pretty surprising situation there. Um, but, you know, the Boston situation is... Like if there's any, if there was ever a time for a free agent entering his prime in a really good situation, or any sort of situation that could lead to someone making the choice to leave, I feel like this is like a pretty insane amount of coincidence where the Celtics have that Stevens connection, which is, you know, I wouldn't overblow those kind of connections most of the time. I think they probably are overemphasized a lot of the time, but. I think it's been pretty. I think it's been pretty well established that they have a very strong relationship, and they go back for a decade or so. And you know, he obviously has a great. I think he has a great relationship with Quinn Snyder, who has proven to be a very good NBA coach. So it's not like it's not like he's looking outside of Utah, thinking I need to go somewhere where I have a good coach that can really push my career and a good roster. Like Utah has everything lined up to be a good team. There are some they're, – they're hitting some roadblocks right now, some speed bumps with injury concerns, and guys not quite developing as much as they want them to or at the same speed that they want them to. So, like, I don't think Utah's picture for 
potential success is nearly as clear as it could be, and it probably isn't as clear as Boston's, especially considering Golden State is in the way. Um, Houston probably will be a good team for a while. They have a really, like their roster is for the most part younger in its prime. So I don't I don't think that there's a major incentive for Gordon Hayward to leave. But if he does decide that he wants to leave, there's literally I can't dream of a better scenario for him than what Boston has. Miami, I mean, I don't know Hayward very well, so I don't know how like how much Miami is attractive to him as far as just Miami itself. I had someone recently tell me that he thinks that Miami's uh, potential is brighter than Utah's potential, which kind of shocks me to hear. Um, I think I think Miami has solid potential to be a good team, but I don't really see a path for them right now to have like a major roster put together where they can really be competitive. Besides the fact that they have the advantage of being in the Eastern Conference right now with this Golden State team existing, so I guess that's probably the one the one area where they have a clear advantage. But overall, for me, I, I think if I'm Gordon Hayward, I unless unless there's something in Utah that I think indicates that I'm not never going to have a chance to get to the finals, I would probably stay in Utah, but. You know, he you put him on this Boston team, and you know I don't think that team is going to beat Cleveland next year unless something really changes for Cleveland. But they, I mean, Gordon is just like the ideal guy for this team. You know, he he he's a good scorer that can play any type of way. Like he's not he's not a, he's not a clear out kind of guy necessarily. He flows within the offense. He can play like a classic off ball shooting guard. He can play like a ball dominant three. He can do pretty much everything on the court out there. He's explosive. He, I think, if he's in Boston, he becomes a defensive folk hero. I don't think he's told it hard enough on how good of a defender he is. I think he's one of the premier defenders at his position, and doesn't get noticed because he's in Utah, and nobody in Utah gets noticed besides Rudy Gobert. But he is a really good on-ball defender. He is great chasing guys off the ball. He defends off-ball shooting guards so well. He does a great job following them on the court. He has really good footwork and early anticipation. He's become strong over the years, and that was a big. That was like the big thing for. Him was really filling out his body, and I really think he achieved that. So I, I love his game, and he was someone that I always thought was a really good player. That it took me a while to really come along, come around on this year, really believing that he actually is a dominant All NBA caliber player. But he, I think at this point, he's clearly proven it. Yeah, I think he is obviously he's the number one target, and there is something to be said for what you mentioned as far as sometimes everything just lines up perfectly, and when it does. It happens. It's it's a, not unlike what happened with Kevin Durant this past summer. Everything had to line up exactly perfect for that situation to play out, and it did, and it did. So there is a good chance that you know we could see that happen with the Celtics again. So let's move on to the next guy, um, and that's Blake Griffin. Is a Another off-rumored target. I was one of the ones who reported it last year, along with uh, former Celtics blog uh, writer and now ringer writer Kevin O'Connor. We were both all over that story of the Celtics being in on Blake Griffin. Doc Rivers later debunked it, but then that turned around to get debunked his debunking, I guess. Um, nobody believes that there weren't at least some level of conversation. And it's come back up again. This time around, they wouldn't have to trade for Griffin. He is a free agent. So... Do you think he's the backup plan to Hayward? Do you think there's anything there at all, or is that something that people are just putting things together and it's not, you know, even in the realm? No, it's definitely real. Your reporting, I think, was pretty solid on it. And I, I think Doc Rivers invented – I think Doc Rivers is the inspiration for Donald Trump's PR campaign, which is to <laughs> deny in the face of, you know, evidence, which, I mean, Doc Rivers has his denial ability is impressive. I admire his commitment. I love Doc. I mean, it was a, it was a pleasure to cover him for a few years. I've had him deny just like absolute facts right to my face plenty of times. He's great at it. He's amazing at it, and that's why his players love him. But um, it's true. I mean, like it's it's obvious. They a lot of teams have been trying to kick the tires on Griffin. They know that. LA is in trouble, and they know that they're, they might need a bailout to try to pivot into the future. You know, if Chris Paul were to leave, then that would be even more, you know, that would be even more obvious. But, you know, it's out of their hands now. Griffin's opting out of his contract, and, you know, Boston is, like, he's, he, you know, there's been, like, all these, all these talk, all this talk over the years about, Free agent players wanted to be in places like New York or L.A. because of the access to the media, like access to stardom and the lifestyle, stuff like that. 
Blake Griffin's like the only guy I can think of that actually is like really pursued acting and comedy and improv and stuff like that. Like he's someone that I can. The first guy that comes to mind when I think of someone that's really focused on that side of the coin. So I think he probably values living in LA in a different, uh, to a stronger degree than like a lot of these other players that we speculate would. So. I do think that's a factor. That has to be a factor. I mean, the guy, like the guy, is really involved with like the Hollywood scene and all that kind of stuff. And if you go to Boston, while it is trying to become Hollywood East, and actually there's a lot of legitimacy to that, they film a lot of major movies here and stuff like that. It's not the same thing. It's not even. It's like it's not even comparable. There isn't that infrastructure of Hollywood built into it. So I don't know how big of a priority that is for him, but it's pretty apparent. It's a pretty significant priority. Um, so. That, I think, has to be a big factor in the decision. Obviously, then there's the question of, do the Clippers want to keep Blake Griffin? I can't imagine that they wouldn't want to max out Blake right away. Uh, but his injury is his injury history is the big thing. Like, he's averaging about 60 or, like, he's been about 55 games per year for the last three years. I think it's right around, like, 54. That's not good. And it's hard to commit a contract to a guy like that. Um He's going to want probably a 3-1 max with a player option at the end there. So then your question is, which is really just up to the medical staff, if, is Blake Griffin projected to be healthy for this entire contract? Are you okay with them playing 65 games a year over the course of the next four years? Which they probably are, considering how good he is. And then do you think that he is a better – like, does he make your offense – better than it already is, do you have to change the way you play your offense to work with him? I think it was, it's probably a yes to all those questions. Uh, you probably are better. You probably do have to change it, how you work a little bit differently, but you, I, you know, it's pretty obvious how good Blake Griffin is. So, Blake Griffin, can he become a better three-point shooter? Probably. Can he be, can he work the ball less and kind of work with the ball more quickly than he has in the past? Probably as well, because he'd have to change the way he plays to really fit with this team. At the end of the day, even if there is some defensive concerns there when you're just, it's just him and Horford there and he doesn't have uh, DeAndre Jordan behind him bailing out because Al Horford isn't the same kind of uh, pivot defender that DeAndre is. You know, there's some sacrifices they make there, but I think overall their offense, you know, they need to be a great offensive team who can also really intimidate on defense. That's the route that they're trying to take. Um, you know, I think Blake allows them to be that guy. So, really, for Blake, it's, I mean, for, uh, to answer your question, because I'm ranting crazy crazier, <laughs> one, Gordon Hayward, I think, should be the primary target. Gordon, you know, Blake has the potential to be more impactful than, than Hayward has and is, and he has been in the past, but it's just a much safer pick to go with Gordon Hayward, and I think Hayward fits into this team perfectly and addresses, kind of answers one of the big questions for this team. So if you can give that money and have, I, I would have significantly more confidence in getting your money's worth out of Gordon Hayward than I would out of Blake Griffin. You know, Blake Griffin, if he plays his best, he's underpaid really, um, but there's just so much inherent risk there. So it should be Hayward at the top of the whiteboard and then Blake Griffin below him. Yeah, and a couple of things on Hayward. I think people underrate how good of a playmaker, uh, excuse me, on Griffin, how good of a playmaker Blake Griffin has become. He averaged, you know, 4.9 assists the last couple of years, 5.3 the year before that. He's a pretty good ball handler for a guy his size. He started to extend out his range a little bit more. He took two, two three-pointers a game roughly this past season. But my fear would be exactly what you touched on. You give him a ton of money, and then if you only get 50, 60 games out of him, that's really questionable. With Hayward, I have no doubt you're going to get 75, 80 games a year out of Gordon Hayward. He's you know proven that over the course of his run with the Jazz. So, so that really leaves it as, yes, Blake Griffin would be a massive upgrade over every other big on the Boston roster minus uh, Al Horford. They're probably, you know, he's probably still better than Al Horford, but Horford fits in so well with everything that the Celtics ask. But it would really be, I think, we're on the same page there. It would be Hayward is is by far and away target one. Griffin maybe the backup, and even then questionable. So that, that leads into trades. 
And the two often mentioned names are Paul George and Jimmy Butler. Both came up around the trade deadline. There was there was credible reporting that there was a belief from David Griffin, I believe it was Brian Windhorst who reported it on the Low Post podcast, that David Griffin, the Cavaliers GM, believed the Celtics were going to get both of them. We're going to get both Paul George and Jimmy Butler at one point on on trade deadline day. And that obviously didn't come, come to pass. But it's still out there. It's probably less so for Butler now. I think that's calmed down and quieted quite a bit. But George is going to be front and center until either he's traded or he's not, and that's probably going to drag all the way to the trade deadline. Would you be in favor of putting together a big package? Because let's face it, that's what it's going to take to get one of these two guys to go after and get either Paul George or Jimmy Butler, or are you on the side of the fence of it's just not worth it build with what you've got? Um, you know, so first off, as far as the Griffin thing is concerned, um, I, I think Windhorse might have reported that with some original sourcing as well. But Griffin was on a panel at the MIT Sloan conference. I remember being in the room for this, and he basically said that in the panel. It, I don't think he was a hundred percent clear that he was referring. To, I can't remember if he was specifically saying it was the Celtics or specifically saying what players it was. But he was basically he basically said like we were mortified that they were gonna get everybody on the market and never get the <laughs> junk on it or not. So, yeah. So, I mean, Griffin was willing to say that publicly. Um, Griffin's just a fascinating guy, really. Uh, but, so, I think that after watching Jimmy Butler this postseason and seeing every, you know, seeing him fight through knee injury to put his team on his back, they can be pretty confident in training for him and thinking that they're getting a great player that's worth the assets they're giving up. They're not trading Markel Fultz for any of these guys. That's not happening. You know, the, the there's like maybe five players in the NBA that they're that they would be willing to trade um, this number one pick for, and none of them are available. And Anthony Davis is the only one that I think could even remotely possibly be available for. But he's not going to be available right now. I guess the beauty of Fultz is that every single team in the league would be wanting to take him. So you know they can. You know, like for instance, the Davis thing that can be still be a possibility in the trade ahead of the trade deadline in February if New Orleans sees that the writing is on the wall, wall with the situation, they got to completely restart. So, you know, they can they can draft Marco Fultz and then still trade him in the future if they have to. But it ha- you're getting like a, a first team All NBA caliber player that's under 25 years old if you're trading Fultz away. So that means the top pick next year from Brooklyn is what's really in play here. The top of the draft is really exciting next year, but it's always exciting a year out. Who knows if guys like Luka Doncic or Michael Porter or any of those other guys, Mo Bamba, you know, if any of those guys are going to look like these tantalizing prospects that they are right now, if we're going to feel the same way about them next year. The chances are we're going to feel that way about at least one of those guys. Usually that's how it always works out. So how good is Brooklyn going to be? Who the hell knows? They probably are going to be horrible, but there is a chance for them to make a few minor improvements. They could sign guys like Kelly Olynyk, for instance, um, that could actually make them decent next year. So I'd be pretty comfortable trading away that draft pick because there's so much unknown there, and they've already gotten enough in-house at this point that they can build off of and still go for a star that's entering his prime right now. And, you know, Paul George is the most ideal out of those guys because he's a year younger and because I think his game fits more into what this team wants. And he's big, so they can put him at, they can use him as the other big on the floor. You know, assuming you have Gordon Hayward, obviously. If you get Blake Griffin, um, I mean, screw it. Paul George is so good that you can just really use him with anybody. But I would much rather, I would definitely rather have Paul George. I don't think Jimmy Butler's skill set would be as necessary for this team, especially if they got Gordon Hayward. It would make way more sense to get George. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not completely sold that I would want to trade for Jimmy Butler if they already have Hayward, even if it's like a, unless it's like a great, great package for the Celtics. It's a really team-friendly deal. I'm not, I, I feel like if you get Hayward, getting Jimmy Butler as well with this, just this current team, I still don't think it's enough to win the title. So I would, I would be, if Brooklyn looks like they're going to be terrible again, I would probably lean more towards keeping that pick. And then, you know, at the trade deadline, you can reassess. 
Yeah, and that is, I'm with you. I don't think we're going to see either one of these guys dealt. I don't think Butler's going to be dealt at all. I think the Bulls realize he's the guy they need to be building around. So I think he's going to stick around unless he really comes out and says, I don't want to be here, I want out of town. Which well, yeah, and he definitely could do that, and it is a little bit of a circus there in Chicago, so we'll have to see what happens. With Paul George, I think it's a situation of you. there's still that fear that Paul George could say, great, trade me, but I'm still running to Los Angeles the first chance I get. There's a very large belief with those folks I talk to around the league that believe he's going to go there, but some of those same folks say, but he also really wants to win, and that's what's important to him. He wants to contend for titles. So so it's going to be something to watch, but I'm with you. I wouldn't look for anything with either guy over the summer, if, if anything, might be in season. And the nice thing with George is you might be able to get him slightly cheaper the closer you get to the trade deadline because you can always play it off as, hey, there's only two more months of this. I can't give you a ma- massive package for a guy of, who could walk out of here after just playing for my team for two months. So... In order to be able to do any of this stuff, the Celtics need to make decisions on their own free agents. And they've got got a handful of guys, some who are key, some who are less key guys. So just want to real quick go through each guy. We'll talk a little bit about what the player situation is. And then what do we think? Is there a chance they're back, not back? Um, What is it? And let's start off with the big one, the one that's probably the most questionable, and that's Kelly Olenek. He was a guy Danny Ainge targeted, traded up for to, to be able to get in the NBA draft. He is a restricted free agent this summer, so the Celtics have a couple of ways. If they really need to open up max cap space, the Linux probably get a go unless they make another deal involving one of the guaranteed contracts on the roster. If not, they can give him the qualifying offer, let him go out and test restricted free agency and then match any offer sheets he gets if he gets one. You always run the risk of a team you mentioned, the Brooklyn Nets, giving him a big deal and then forcing the Celtics' hands or the Celtics have to just let him go, or the Celtics could just say, you know what, we're moving on completely and just renounce a Linux. Where do you see things falling with the guy who probably is a little more polarizing of all the Celtics' bigs? So just really quickly before I even address that, I think Indiana brought in Pritchard and Bird left so that they could do their fire sale. So I, I, I think George is very much on the move. And if I'm Indiana, the question is whether I'd rather have that Nets pick next year or D'Angelo Russell. So that could be really interesting. So oh, there you go. That's interesting. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, we'll have to see. But yeah. So right. to not to not derail the whole podcast. Kelly Olynyk is <clears throat> he is subject to the one a hole rule that we all love in the NBA, where his market is not that strong but there's somebody out there that's ready to ruin it for everybody else. Brooklyn is a logical one. Sacramento could be it, even though I don't think they necessarily need his skill set on board. And what they got out of Scalabisti at the end of the year, I think completely changes their plans because he looked amazing at the end of the year mm-hmm. and looked like the guy that was once projected to be the number one or two pick in the draft. So they're not necessarily desperate to get another big, but Olenek could still be that guy. But <clears throat> from Brooklyn... I think Olenek is pretty ideal for a target because you can throw him 16 a year, maybe even 18, um, and that could be enough to lock him in, and then you're locking in a guy that's one of your starters for a four-year deal at a price that isn't terrible where you still have tons of room to maneuver. So Brooklyn <coughs> Brooklyn makes a ton of sense there. Um, you know, a, a team like Orlando, who you're familiar with, I can see them trying to get in the race and maybe making some room to get in the race on him because I feel like he kind of is one of that's like one of the areas where they don't have someone that, off the top of my head, I think clearly addresses that as far as a, a really good shooting big, um, especially with Aaron Gordon's. Uh, if he really develops a good ability on the in the pivot, then you could put Gordon at the four and Olenek at the five and actually still have some good potential defensively while having lots of space to maneuver offensively. So I would like to see him go to somewhere like that. But as far as as far as far it is with Boston, they have to strike out on a lot of free agent targets to be bringing him back. Um, they he, he, He's been good for them, and they showed, especially in those games in Cleveland in the conference finals, how they can really utilize them. But he's just I don't think he's ever going to be a starter on this team. And... There are just there are too many areas of inconsistency that four years into his career they haven't hammered out yet, and I think that they're probably a little frustrated with that. And he hasn't been a consistent enough shooter to really fulfill his potential. 
he's developed so many areas. He's become a good defender, which I don't know. I, I feel like the people that say that he's a terrible defender probably don't watch the team ever because he actually is a pretty good defender. He can get moved. He can get moved around on the block, but yeah, that's his area of weakness. And very few players in the league play that way anymore. He's a good positional defender. He's decent in the pick and roll. He's good rotating to the pivot on help defense. I mean, he's he's pretty solid. He's done a good job. And then offensively, while he has a lot of the uh, yip syndrome. He overall, at the end of the day, tends to be a net positive for the team. He makes, you know, he'll come out there and he'll look terrible for like a couple possessions, but then he'll kind of get his feel and he'll start making really good plays off the bounce, passing the ball. He'll hit some good shots. He'll make some solid plays. They'll find mismatches for him to exploit. You know, he can't post up anybody over 220 pounds, but when they have him get a mismatch and they post up smaller guys, he's usually pretty good at it. So. He's a solid player, and I'd like to see him go to, like, a mediocre team where he can really kind of, you know, really see his game open up and see all the different things he can do because I think he deserves that. But I think his future in Boston is mostly contingent on whether or not they can capture anybody else uh, in the free agent market. But, you know, if they do sign him, I think he would be probably at a good contract around 13 or $14 million. I think that's kind of the top end of his market. Uh, some people think he's worth 10 to 11 But oh, after polling people around the trade deadline, that was the number. The 13 was kind of the 12 to 13 was the average number that I was getting for his, like, high market value. So they can probably lock him into a deal like that. They'll be, you know, if they do keep him, it's going to be them matching an offer sheet from somebody because he is going to sign an offer sheet somewhere. He has too many skills that teams want and that teams don't have and are missing that he's going to have a pretty decent market out there. Yeah, he is. I always compare him to the way he looks on the court at times. He looks like that kid we all went to high school with that grew six inches one summer and still doesn't really fully understand how his new body works. (laughs) (laughs) It's just kind of all over the place. But then when you watch him do things on the court, he is one of the more skilled bigs in the entire NBA. And that's not, and I'm not building this guy up or saying anything that's not true. He can shoot from the outside. He's a good passer. He can handle the ball. He's got a nice floater, which bigs almost never have in the paint. He, he can do a lot of different things um, on the court. So I, I'm with you. I do think we're going to see this be a situation where Boston is either going to move him – they're going to move on because they need the cap space, or they're going to have their hands forced if they they don't move on and keep him because some team is going to throw him an offer to come in because he's really what everybody's looking for in a new age you know four or five man who can step out and play on the perimeter and also offer you some some uh, at the minimum solid defense. Yeah, and also I think there's a lot of teams that want to track guys like a guy like Laurie Markinen. And or, sorry if I butchered his last name there, but no, you got um, there you go. So, like, cause I think Lori looks like the kind of guy that they wish Kelly could be because he's super fluid and he's comfortable with the ball and stuff like that. While Olenek doesn't quite have that, so I think a lot of teams that missed out on him that really wanted him as a target are going to be willing to overpay to get Olenek because they felt that that was the kind of guy that they really want on their roster. Yep. So now we're going to move into the two veteran big men, and that's Amir Johnson and Jonas Jarebko. These two guys have really, they played the good soldier role for the Celtics. They, they even last summer, they both agreed to move their guarantee dates back to assist the team, which they had no reason to do. They were on non-guaranteed contracts, and they could have said, no, either cut us or, or not. Um, I think part of the reason why they agreed was that they weren't going to see that kind of money on the open market. But they, they have done everything the Celtics have asked. Johnson's been the starting um, four or five, depending on how you see him in Horford, but one of the starting two big men uh, for most of the last two seasons. Jarebko has come, in, come and gone from the rotation, but has always stayed ready. He comes in when he's asked to play. My gut tells me this is the end of the road for both of these guys. I think we saw in the playoffs they're limited. If if anything, I think what well, we could see if the Celtics do land a big-time player in this, this summer as a free agent, if they landed, say, Gordon Hayward, I could see one of these two guys coming back for a portion of the, the uh one of the Celtics' exceptions to come back and fill out the big man rotation, but I, other than that, I think we're we're probably done watching Amir Johnson and Jonas Drebko in green. What are your thoughts? 
Yeah, I think Amir is uh, just he's been like twenty eight, going on forty for a while now. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I mean, they love like they love Amir because he, he's such a great. Like for one, he's such a nice guy. It's like one of the nicest players I've ever met in my life. Um, and he's he's a really hard worker, and he's a smart guy, and he and he's really good for the locker room, and they really love him there. But he just hasn't. So like every time they're in the playoffs, they have to go away from him for the most part. And they they, they want to. I think the big thing that they want is to just get out of the situation where they're trying to figure out their starting lineup in the playoffs. That that really hurt them. That was so hard for them. They had to put so much work into that that they had to deprioritize other areas. You know that was such a huge challenge that they had to carry throughout the playoffs because they couldn't start a mirror in most of these situations. And, you know, I think an easy solution for them could have been to start Marcus Smart because that's their closing lineup. That's that's really who they are when they're at their best. But they don't want to start him because they really like having him come off the bench later in the first quarter. And I, I agree with that. It, I think it makes sense. But they they just want to be in a situation where they don't have to worry about who the hell is our starter in the playoffs. So, Mir, unless Amir is coming back with the mid-level, because, you know, they have to renounce him to clear him off the books, yep. and then they're going to have to bring him back in under an exception. So unless he wants to play at the mid-level, which the mid-level is actually cheap right now uh, because it's fixed and it's not relative to the cap, which is still incredibly stupid, but, you know, the players lost on that one, so good job by the owners on that. Um, you know, that I would I would do that if, uh, depending on whether Yabusele is coming over, I... I don't think Yabu is coming over if they're able to get a max free agent because I think that from what I had heard was that the, the they basically were drafting him because they knew – I mean, one, they were drafting him because it was a great scouting find and he looks like he has a lot of potential. But he um, he's probably willing to sit out another year or they could at least convince him to sit out another year and then they're able to keep that few million dollars off of the books and have that room. So – if they do bring over Yabuskele, that's another big that's in the rotation. We, like, who, because he's so raw and inexperienced, uh, probably wouldn't, he'd probably be playing in Maine a lot, frankly, and he probably wouldn't be a major part of the rotation. But they would have Zizich as well, and then Zizich can probably take a lot of those minutes that Amir is taking, even if he also is a rookie. Yeah, I want to on Amir, too. You mentioned he's 28 going on 40. And that is, it's funny, but it's, Part of the reason that's true is Amir Johnson was the last player drafted straight out of high school um, back before that rule change. So he really did – it does feel like he's been in the NBA forever. He's got – you know, I think this was his – let's see, was this his 12th or 13th season in the league that he just completed? It was his 12th year uh, just completed. So that's why it feels like he's way older than he is. And he, he he's always even, – even when he was a very young man, he ran like an old man. Um, too, so so that was in there. So what what are your thoughts on Jarebko? Uh So you know Jonas, it's like every year he like they like use him for like a month or two at a time, and it's pretty much it. And then in the playoffs, they'll show up as like that mid that uh, mid series adjustment of where they put in the guy that hadn't played the entire series. So they're not. I don't see them paying for you know for someone to be doing that, especially because Jalen is really, really coming into his own at the second half of that year, and they're going to be getting a lot more out of him. So they feel they feel a, a, there's a lot of similarity in the roles that those two guys fill. Um, and I'm saying Phil because Phil Mickelson just came on my TV here. <laughs> but um, they, you know, unless there's – I feel like there's a lot of guys in the league that you could probably pay $3 million a year to uh, to get the kind of production they're getting out of Jarebko as far as the level of consistency. Jarebko, when he's on, is incredibly valuable, and we saw at Game 3 of the Conference Finals when he's on. I mean, he could be awesome. But you know, the Swedish Larry Bird is just the Swedish Larry Bird. He's not the real thing. And there are other guys out there that can give them similar type of production. And then this is also where Yabu Steli comes into play, where if they do bring Yabu over – then he is a very similar player to Jarebko. He actually has a lot. He's a lot of skills that and physical tools that Jarebko doesn't have. He's not probably at this point not going to be as good of a three point shooter, but he is a pretty decent three point shooter, and he can give them a lot more upside. And obviously, he has a major future in Boston if they hold on to him long term. While Jarebko is just kind of on a year to year thing. So, I think Jarebko will have a market for himself that'll be better than what Boston's willing to give him. I could see him 
getting some team to pay him six to eight million dollars, or at least giving him the full mid level. Uh, so I, I think it's I think Jarebko's future here is mostly contingent on does he have any market, and then if not, then would he be willing to play for like the biannual or something like that? Yeah, that, and that's that's basically where I'm at. It's 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 going to be one or the other. If if either, if there's no way both of those guys will be back, and it'll only be for cheap money for a year or maybe two um, to help fill out that big rotation. So we got two more free agents. We don't have to spend a lot of time on either one of these guys. But Gerald Green, he came in. He was kind of again another guy as Brad Stevens was mixing and matching the rotation in and out of the rotation then back in in the playoffs and for what it's worth they should have tagged on this before I 100% agree with you that they want to get to a point where they're not messing around with the rotation come playoff time they want to run with the same guys that they have Green helped win you know a couple of playoff games and was was successful in there but ultimately he's really at this point he played on the league minimum that's probably what he is going forward, maybe some team really desperate for shooting at the 2-3 might give him a little extra money, but I think I think he could be a guy who waits around for a while, and if the Celtics have a roster spot open at the end of the, towards the end of free agency, maybe he comes back for the league minimum, or maybe a slight bump if Boston had a little bit extra left. And then the other guy is James Young. Now, James Young, a little bit interesting situation. He was had his fourth-year rookie scale option declined by the Celtics. They are not going to bring him back. Um, they, or they decided it was not worth bringing him back. So that limits the Celtics and how much they could pay him. And, you know, the risk there is if he broke out and had a massive season this past year, he did spoiler, he didn't. Um, but he, he, the max they could have paid him was $2.8 million. So... But I think the writing's on the wall there. When a when a rookie scale option gets declined, that guy's done. He's moving on, and it's, he's out of the plans uh, for the team. So, do you think either Green or Young is back? I, well, for James Young, the question is whether an NBA team will sign him. Yeah, forget absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then, as far as Gerald Green is concerned, you know, it, it would be really upsetting if he left because the Celtics did a really bad thing to the media, and they let Evan Turner walk. And that was <laughs> that was just a, that was a slap in the face to all the beat reporters because Evan Turner is gold. He is incredible, um, and Gerald Green is the next best thing. He was he was just he's so much fun to talk to. He always has something great to say. He, he's incredible. You know, hot chocolate is is amazing. So uh, he he, he's, eats, um, he eats like garbage, right? And in, in, in <laughs> pregame is that that's true, right? Yeah, it's gonna be a bunch of weird stuff. I mean, he's one of the PB and J guys, I think. Uh, but he, he's I some, contenders and yeah, yeah, he likes to. <laughs> it's funny because I think he might have the same locker that Gerald Wallace had, and Gerald Wallace always used to have like a huge like chicken uh, chicken finger and hot sauce and buffalo wing kind of like you. Sometimes you walk into the locker room and it just smelled like buffalo wings, and you knew Gerald was in there. And yeah, it, it's it, they're both Gerald. I just noticed that. So yeah, it's yeah, uh, it like Gerald's before him. He uh, he yeah. He eats junk, and then he just <laughs> runs 20 miles out there, and he works it all off. So, um, I mean, he never had an issue staying in shape, so I wouldn't worry about mm-hmm. that. I mean, he's he burns he burns hot chocolate, you know, for a, for a living. That's what he does. <laughs> he's awesome. So he's a he's a minimum player at this point. Um, you know, some team might give him the biannual, which you know he should take if he can get it. He's he should go somewhere else to get more playing time, but he was happy here and he had a good role here and they love him in the locker room. Everybody loves him. He's a hard worker. He's ready for his opportunity as he's certainly proved there. And he is hilarious and a great spirited guy. And he was I think he was really valuable in both keeping things keeping things light when guys were really upset and then also lighting a fire under their asses when they needed it. He was a really good veteran for this team, which is so funny because it's coming from it's so ironic coming from Gerald, who is so immature and nearly lost his career due to his immaturity. That was something I wrote, I did a huge feature on him at the beginning of the year on that. Yep. Um and he and he really I think really proved the value of all that at the by the end of the year where you saw him he was ready to go. 
fill a really crucial hole for this team. He gave them everything that they had hoped for this year, and he had a great season overall, even if he wasn't playing most of the time. You know, those guys at the end of your – those veterans that you pay at the end of your bench, you pay them so that when it's playoff time, the guys are focused, they're practicing hard, and that if somebody goes down, they're ready to step in. And he gave them – you know, I mean, he, he played way more than he should have in the playoffs, and he had a lot of terrible minutes in there. But you're paying him just for that game three in Chicago when you change the starting lineup and you go to him and you get that win. That's really what you're paying him a million and a half for, and he gave it to them. Yeah, you know, and, we, and I talked about this on another show I recorded earlier this week, and it's with the advent of the new two-way contracts, not only does it open up the opportunity for those players that get those two-way contracts for development purposes, but what it also does is it potentially opens up a spot or two at the end of these benches for these veteran guys. Because instead of saying, you know, I've got to sign this guy who I'd rather spend the whole year in the D League, but I don't want any of the other 29 teams to get him, well, now that guy's going to be the guy who gets the two-way deal. And then you can afford to, to really give a roster spot to a guy who's a locker room presence and may occasionally help on the court, which is what Gerald Green is. So, so I think that there's a chance, but I think it would be a down the line, we're done, we've done everything else. All right, you're still there, you're looking, let's run this back again. Well, it's it just one thing, you know, I never, I've never really thought much about veterans taking two ways. Uh, I, I don't think he's going to take it two way. I just think yeah. it opens up the roster spot because instead of using that 15th spot on a stash guy, um, a D-League stash guy, you can now give that guy the two way and then, then use the roster spot on a veteran. That's yeah, which, which makes okay. That makes total sense. Sorry yeah. if I missed that. No, no, it's all good. Yep. Yeah, but, but but it does bring up an interesting question: Will there be any veterans that take two ways? You know, maybe guys that are completely out of the league to try to jump back in the league. But I would be really curious to see if there are guys falling out of the league that would take two ways. Because if you're a veteran, you know, two ways a slap in the face to you. Since basically, because you're like, I might make, I might make eight hundred thousand dollars this year, or I might make, or actually more than that, you might make like a million and a half this year, or I might make like five hundred thousand dollars this yeah. year. I might not even be with the team. So yeah. that would be really interesting. I can, I can imagine Keith Bogans would not take that deal. <laughs> yeah, I don't think, and I, and I think Keith Bogans got paid plenty to do nothing. Oh, he got paid a lot for doing nothing. He got paid five and a half million dollars yeah. to do nothing. Yep. So hey, good for him. it's good work if he can get it right. That's so right. now I want to jump into the non-guaranteed players. So the first one up, Tyler Zeller. So Tyler Zeller, the way his contract works, no minimum guarantee despite it being an $8 million contract, but it becomes fully guaranteed on July 2nd. So the good thing is the Celtics, because free agency opens at midnight on July 1st, they're probably going to have somewhat of an idea if they need it need that $8 million in cap space, but it doesn't matter anyway. They're not giving Tyler Zeller $8 million. He was given that deal so that they could use him in a trade at the NBA draft to bring in additional money to help with salary matching. Now, that the rules on this have changed going forward with any new contracts that are signed this summer. Zeller and trade would actually count as zero because it only counts going forward with any new contract signed in 2017 for whatever your guarantee amount is. This is what you count and trade. But this was a deal that Danny Ainge said, I've got cap space left last summer. I'm going to use it to bring this guy in, give him a deal, not unlike what they did with Amir Johnson and Jonas Drebko to some extent. A little bit of a bit of an overpay in Zeller's case, a pretty big overpay. But unless I'm completely off and I don't think I am, there's no way he's back, right? Yeah, he is. The, he was the luckiest guy in the NBA last year, or two years ago, getting that contract. Which I mean, at least he was the you know, at least he like isn't a bad guy. That deserves yeah. he's a great guy and everything. But um, yeah, he's not. He's not coming back because they're bringing over. There, I I can't think of any scenarios where they don't bring Zizich over. Um, but there, I guess there are some out there technically. But the bottom line is they're bringing over Zizich, and he's going to fill the role that they hoped Zeller would fill, and he's probably going to be a lot better at it. And it's it's gonna. I think fans will be as someone who's been following Zizich for a while now has talked to a lot of team sources about him. They're gonna be very happy with what they see out of him, and that means Zeller's done here. He's gonna sign somewhere. You know, he's he he's got enough skills in him that there's some team that's willing to have him on a minimum deal or maybe something a little bit more than that. But he's he's pretty much a career minimum guy at this point. You know, I look at guys like Jason Smith who. 
never panned out, but they still stuck around just because they could do one or two things pretty well. I think Zeller will be the same kind of thing. Although, frankly, Smith's skill set is a lot more attractive than Zeller's skill set. But every team in the league would love to have a guy that's seven feet tall that you could just run pick and roll with for a few plays just to get through the third quarter. And yeah. someone will pay for it. Absolutely. And, you know, the other thing with Zeller, too, is he was the kind of guy who Brad, and I've, I've read many quotes and heard Brad Stevens say this, Whenever his number was called, he was ready. He stayed active, engaged, and ready to play. It wasn't always he didn't always do great, but he was always ready. He never quit on the team because he wasn't in the rotation or anything like that. He never really just sat back and said, "I'm good to take my eight million dollars and just hang out." I mean, this guy works hard. Everybody, by all accounts, mm-hmm. is you know likes him and is appreciative of him. So I think it'll be really good. Um, to see him catch on somewhere else because he really is he's he's kind of your ideal fifth big third center type of guy on a team is where he can go the other two guys a little younger um than than Zeller and that's Demetrius Jackson and Jordan Mickey so Mickey was a guy fans had super high hopes for didn't really pan out didn't look great at summer league last year then barely played this year didn't even look great in his D-league stints up in Maine and then Jackson spent most of the year in the D-League. My thoughts are Jackson has 650000 guaranteed. His contract becomes fully guaranteed on July 15th. So in that fully guaranteed amount is one point, almost $1.4 million. So the Celtics will know plenty in advance that they need to clear that space off to, to use that cap space on him. Mickey's contract is fully non-guaranteed at one point, almost $1.5 million. And his becomes fully guaranteed as well on July 15th. My thought would be we're going to see by July 15th how the rest of the roster is coming together. But I think Mickey might be gone, and I think Jackson will be back as, if nothing else, he'll be a training camp guard. Yeah, I think both of those guys are prime candidates to be packaged in the trade. In fact, if I'm making a trade with the Celtics, I don't do it unless you put Demetrius in the deal. And then, of course, they refuse, and I eventually do it because it's not that big of a deal. But <laughs> Demetrius is super cheap. You know, he it's not apparent. I'm, I've never, I never, I don't think I've ever gotten the answer why he fell so far in the draft from being someone who was on big boards as high as, like, the late lottery to falling to 45, I believe. Um, he, you know, I, he's small. I think that might be the first thing. It was just that he measured out the combine smaller than people expected because he looks like, he looks like he's like five foot ten. Like he looks really short. I think he's listed at six, but he looks like he's like five foot ten at best, really. Um, and I and I said this someone who is about if you round up, you get to six feet with me, and I and he's shorter than me, so that's how I get that one. Um, but he he didn't look nearly as comfortable with the ball watching him in the D League for the most part because he barely played in the, in the with the Celtics. Um, he didn't look nearly as comfortable with the balls I would have expected out of him. His explosiveness is pretty awesome. His agility is pretty awesome. There's still a lot of potential for him to be like a good scorer off the bench, I think, in the future, and who knows, maybe even more. But he's so, he's so cheap, and he's on he's such an absurd contract. To, it's more like it's completely up to the team to play it how they want. I would definitely want to acquire him in a trade. If I'm the Celtics, unless they have to snip him because they're trying to fit Hayward in there, I would keep him. You know, he's they're you know they're a team that has seemed like they've had too many guards for so long, but it's gonna those guards could all disappear really fast where they're gonna need to get rid of them. So having him back there is definitely useful. He has skill sets that are useful, and that he's a guy that. Projected is projected to be a scorer, and they don't they don't really have a lot of guys on the roster that project to be scorers in the future. So holding onto someone who could do that, I think, is really valuable. And then for Mickey, they've got more big talent coming through. It's time to cut him loose. He hasn't done nearly enough over the last few years to show that he could do something. And if he had a future here, he would have been playing instead of Tyler Zeller in the playoffs this year. And when I saw that they weren't playing him, I thought, I thought okay, well, I guess that's it for Jordan Mickey. It's a shame because he, you know, he has a lot of potential, especially as a defender, but he just he just never, you know, it, we, I don't get to watch their practices, believe it or not. So um, they don't let me, they don't let me sneak <laughs> into practice and hide behind the chair in there. So I can't tell you what exactly it is, but from what I have heard, it's that his, he wasn't, he wasn't really developing his skills and he wasn't developing his ability to read the floor on both ends. And that was the main issue for him. And they could just straight up in the playoffs, 
Couldn't count on him to go out there and give them a few good minutes where he wouldn't make a ton of mistakes. And the fact that Tyler Zeller was out there making tons of mistakes and getting wrecked on defense, and he still didn't go to Mickey, I think that's the evidence you need to know that Mickey's, Mickey's not going to be here. Yeah, and it's, it's, you hit it right. That it's, it's time to move on. and the, the free Mickey crowd can, can move on with him. Hey, I was, well. I was so. one of those people. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, you know, I guess I just because when I watched him at summer league, I just I never, I never got it. It just if you can't in your second year as a professional dominate summer league, it it doesn't bode well for you. It doesn't usually, you know, mean your big things are to come. All right, we're gonna go into rapid fire mode here with with time running short on us, but these these mm-hmm. ones are all pretty easy questions. So let's start with. Number one overall draft pick, what is your odds that it's Markel Fultz versus anybody else or traded? It would literally be that Danny Ainge suffers amnesia and can't remember Markel Fultz's <laughs> name. <laughs> All right, that's simply enough there, and for what it's worth, I'm with you on that one. Draft and stash, guys. So you, we talked about Ante's quite a bit. It looks like... I mean, it doesn't look like he's coming over. That's that's a done deal. He he's going to be here, so we don't need to really talk about him. Other than people are very very high on this guy, but exercise a little bit of patience. If he's not, you know, fifteen and ten on the opening night, it's probably not going to be that. You know, it's going to take him a little while to to get adjusted. But I do think people will really love this kid's game. Gershon, yeah. be, oh, go ahead. I was just say they, they, the team loves them. I mean, I I think both of us have reported on that at different points uh, this year, and uh, every pretty much everybody else has reported on it at this point. The team loves them, which is usual PR stuff. But I mean, like they they, they I've they, I've had people in the front office point to specific things, which I agree with their analysis, and obviously their analysis is ten times better than mine. That's why they run the team. Um, but th- there are specific tools that he has that are incredibly exciting. You know, I've been calling him the French Draymond since I first started seeing the video of him when they drafted him. And, you know, the, the it's kind of, it's the comparison is not is ridiculous in the sense that Draymond Green is like, is a freaking savant at basketball and you, and it has the, you know, the intensity of a, of a samurai. So, like, obviously, Yavuselli is not bad. It could be, who knows. But he has, he is a five-tool big man. He does everything on the court. He does it pretty well. There are a lot of things with, like, footwork where he'll need to get better. He'll need to learn how to read the game at full speed. He's probably going to look lost out there at the beginning of the year. But he's he has so much good rotation player potential in him. And I, I'm, so, I'm more excited about his potential than I am as Zizic is, even though I think Zizic very, has a very clear path to being a good starting NBA center. Yeah, and I think, and you mentioned it way back earlier in the show, I do think that there's a chance with, with Yavaselli that he is stashed for a second year. There's been a lot rumored out there that that was part of why he was drafted when and where he was drafted um, by the Celtics, that, that he had agreed to, hey, if I need to play two years overseas. Last question I got for you. Isaiah Thomas, Avery Bradley, Marcus Smart, just hit on each one of them really quick. Are they all Celtics on opening night? Oh, that's an interesting one. Um, if they make a trade, no, uh, that's for sure. I definitely you know, those guys are. I would say um, Marcus is very likely to be moved in a trade. Avery, I'm not 100 percent sure because I feel like Avery's market could be pretty huge coming up here in the future. Um, Isaiah, I just don't see any reason why they would ever get rid of Isaiah Thomas. He's he's been he's been everything that they could possibly want out of him. And with all of his flaws, like he's an unstoppable scorer. The only question is the recovery from whether he has, whether or not he has surgery. That's the big question for him. But obviously, he's not getting moved when he's uh, dealing with a hip injury. Yeah, and let me let let me put this out there right now. This is just my personal opinion on this one. If if he is signs are that he's even if signs are that he's healthy and can be ready to go. Guys who are coming off an all-NBA second team don't get traded. It doesn't happen unless there's a huge problem and there's no problem. He loves Boston. Boston loves him. So I can't see this reasons. And for all these people who are like, yeah, but he's terrible defensively. You know, he'll score 30 and let the other guy score 35. It's not quite that way. It's, that's know? not really what happens anyway. Yeah. Those are always overblown. Yeah, yeah, absolutely overblown. You know, his offensive impact far outweighs his defensive limitations. And I'll be honest in the 
postseason defensively, he wasn't nearly as bad, you know, as people people want to make it out that they got taken advantage of. But I think they're thinking of the last two games he played against the Cavs, where he clearly was not healthy and should not have been playing at that point. So that's going to wrap us up. That's all the time we have on the NBA front office show. But I want to kick it back to you, Jared. Plug anything you want to plug and let everybody know where to find you on Twitter. Uh, Jared Weiss NBA on uh, Twitter and Instagram. You can find me over at Celtics Blog Writing, CLNS Media Network for all the video and podcast galore. Uh, yesterday did a video podcast with uh, Michael Pina, Vice Sports, where we talked about a lot of the same things we just talked about, but also other stuff, so you can tune in there. Go to the CLNS Media YouTube channel for that. And uh, tomorrow, or Monday, on Celtics Blog, I'll have a season retrospective on Jalen Brown up, which I'm working on as we speak, sitting in my underwear at my desk. Fantastic. Well, that's a visual we all needed to have. So I will, you know, thank you once again, Jared, for joining the show. This has been the NBA Front Off Show. I'm your host, Keith Smith. You can find me on Twitter at KeithSmithNBA. Please give me feedback on the show, what you like, what you don't like. We want to make this the show for everybody who loves transactions, roster building, salary cap. That's what we want this show to be. We will continue to release more and more shows. If you are enjoying the show, by all means, please head over to iTunes to give us a five-star rating and review. It really would help us out. Once again, the NBA Front Office Show, part of the Almighty Baller Network, and we'll talk to you next time. Let's pull up over here and drop a line. Hey, your feet wet? My feet are wet. Here's the drain plug. You put the plug in the drain, right? Ah, uh, it's on the dock. There's a reason they say curse like a sailor. Ah, Many reasons. Progressive's boat insurance has you covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. And now, an ad from Dad. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Yeah. Tell you another way to save money. Don't buy those uh, expensive coffees every morning, you know. Then you can save up for a, I don't know, really nice dress shirt. I'm just saying. It's great that you feel comfortable here at work, but, you know, an adult could walk in. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.